Welcome to the Smoke and Rope Podcast, the show that brings together Michigan's top cannabis growers, advocates, and business owners to offer a fresh and honest perspective of Michigan's cannabis industry. Stick with us to get the lowdown from the people who have been on the ground floor of cannabis business in Michigan and gain insights into where the industry may be heading. Welcome to the Smoke and Rope Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Basor, and today is episode 80. And real excited to have the uh, the official announcement on our show from uh, and have uh, our good friend, uh, uh, attorney and uh, businessman, Josh Covert. Thanks for being on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm real excited to be here. I always like being on your uh, Smoke and Rope podcast. Excellent, excellent. And just so the viewers at home know, Josh is uh, right upstairs uh, uh, the office. So uh, this one's uh, this going to be a good one. Tom, really, what's going on, man? We're on the road visiting our customers this week and uh, getting out there. We have a few vendor days and just kind of doing a recap of last year and talking about what, you know, 2022 is kind of looking like for us. And uh, yeah, just getting out there and it's nice to finally do that. I haven't done that in, in quite some time. So long That's overdue. Awesome. You're going to be at really, I mean, at local roots tomorrow. Yep, we'll be a local, we'll be at Michigan's finest here today, mm-hmm. uh, and then we will be at local roots tomorrow and botanical in Lansing, I believe tomorrow. Yep. Oh, both in one day. Yeah, we try to hit a few in a day. Okay, cool. Well, awesome. I think I'm gonna see you tomorrow, so looking forward to that. Uh, Kevin is uh, is harvesting some uh, some flower out of his new building and is not able to make it, so we'll hold it down, but. I wanted to give uh, um, Josh a proper introduction, you know, um, um, the kind of the topic on this. I know everyone, a lot of people out there have known Josh for years and uh, he made an announcement a, a while back saying he's no longer, uh, you know, practicing with Colbert Law, his firm, and you know, sold that to James. Um, and it, Josh is now uh, the CEO and of counsel for, for Meds Cafe and, and some of their other affiliates. So. Super excited about it, and then to talk about it, it's pretty historic for um, what, what Josh started as a defense attorney and um, worked his way through, helped legalize, and then and now is going to be you know running a cannabis company. So very interesting stuff, and especially for everybody that knows Josh. But um, I, I first met Josh. I heard about Josh. I used to get the State Journal sent to me, and and when I was in uh, um, down in Morgantown, West Virginia, in prison, and. I started reading about this uh, Josh from the Free Bree case, so started coming out of my radar. It was it was, uh, it was great to be reading and uh, seeing when when he won that. Uh, I remember still in myself, so got out and I started some social media and a company and started working with cannabis related companies. That's all I wanted to work with. And Josh at the time was with uh, Nichols Law, and uh, I had knew, known Mike from the CPU days. And uh, Josh hired me and. Uh, we did uh, did some work together and it went pretty well and and then uh, got to know Josh a lot better and he, MI legalized Josh was at my legalized board member especially the first campaign was out talking extremely active and was always saying my job is to put myself you know I want to put myself out of a job and uh, he did but on to on to bigger and, and better things um, from there rented an office about oh started three years ago in uh, in Cobra Law and was doing consulting and worked for the MICIA and then uh, you know, started Redemption. And now um, I'm sure a lot of you guys know we, we bought this uh, 
a, a building just down the street in Lansing in Old Town, a beautiful uh, office building together uh, along with James McGill. So awesome uh, journey. It's been a good one. And uh, thanks for being on, Josh. And uh, this, uh, so no, everybody knows that we wanted to hear a little bit about why you got into cannabis law, your reason why, and then tell us about this transition to uh, the meds and uh, I wonder if we're going to be seeing a lot of other defense attorneys and attorneys trying to do the same thing copying you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, thanks. So, yeah, I became an attorney a little over 10 years ago, uh, looking back at it. And uh, I went to law school to fight the drug war in uh, regards to cannabis. I grew up in a home where my parents used cannabis, um, you know, throughout my childhood. And I just never saw cannabis users as criminals. And as I you know, got a little bit older, decided to make a change and uh, go to law school. I originally uh, went to <clears throat> college to be a ski bum. I uh, had a ski area business management degree and I worked in the ski industry for a while, something I was passionate about. But as you get older, sometimes your passions change. And I started looking at society a little differently and seeing uh, you know, the importance of uh, standing up for cannabis users and becoming a defense attorney. So that's what I, I started down that path to do and working uh, you know, over the years as an activist <clears throat> and taking on lots of different caregiver uh, cases over the years. Um, you know, I kind of uh, was real happy to, to see the, you know, fruits from being a criminal defense attorney and really making change and helping people and uh, became a part of MI Legalized to kind of further those efforts. And, uh, you know, we, we now have adult use cannabis legalized in Michigan. And so the importance of me taking a lot of these cases, I think, has lessened somewhat over the years. And I started working more and more with cannabis businesses. And that's kind of what spearheaded starting my own law firm was to be able to provide services to cannabis businesses and something we did really well. Um, and I was uh, happy to be a part of that and to grow that business. But um, in the you know, last uh, month or so, I, I had some uh, new opportunities presented. And, and the fact that I think I had my law firm in a really good spot where I could sell it to uh, my partner and I knew they would be able to continue on with what I built was a big part in me kind of making this this transition. That's incredible. So how has it been? So you're you go from, you know, practicing law, I, I, you know, I'm here every day. I know you're doing mostly business, but we'll get into some of the cases and what you're still doing, but <clears throat> transition into running a cannabis company. Um, I made a joke, you know, all the, the defense attorneys are going to be jumping over. Um, it's a lot easier said than done, um, uh, obviously, and you got to have a skill set. But what what's changed in your day to day and your focus and, and how is it going? It's been a, a whirlwind, I guess, you know, just trying to catch up to speed. There's so many things that I hadn't really thought about or, or learned up until this point when it comes to actually running a cannabis business. You know, I've had to familiarize myself with things like uh, Flow Hub and Weed Maps and uh, lots of different uh things that I hadn't really thought about before, you know, merchandising, marketing, purchasing. Um, you know, I've always been with, a, as far as a lawyer, I, I think a consultant in a lot of ways, because I understand lots of, lots of the industry um, and then doing licensing work, but never really kind of diving into maybe the marketing as much. 
um, more being maybe a consultant, but not actually someone maybe pulling the trigger on some of these things. So it's certainly uh, been uh, a fast couple of weeks. I guess I started January 1st and uh, I'm still every day taking on something new, something I haven't done before, which is real exciting. Um, and that's kind of one of the things that I liked about taking on this this new job was being able to work on some new things and, and take on some ideas I've had and actually see them through as opposed to just, you know, consulting. Yeah. Now, uh, we, uh, as far as the show and, you know, myself and Tom, we've, we've known the Mets Cafes guys, uh, Michael and Fitz um, early on uh, and Driven was was in the Roger City store. And I know Tom's worked with with, with them as, as well and, and good guys. And uh, um, leading up to it, though, uh, you know, what, knowing that and they're in and it's more of a mom and pop what uh what's kind of your guys's uh like your your theory or not your theory but your your business philosophy now what type of uh a brand are you trying to be seen as for because you know i, I look at you obviously as, as as talented to be able to do that but you you bring a whole nother another level of cannabis really street cred uh to a business in michigan because everybody knows you and especially the clientele you've had over the year and that you've helped so what what is your guys focus moving forward and, and what type of company are you guys like overall trying to be yeah so i think you know first and foremost for uh, me <clears throat> teaming up with uh this group i really want i really want to make sure we're we're in it for the caregivers still and we're going to separate ourselves from a lot of what we see is you know the mcma uh group and a lot of the uh influence that they have and, and try to do something different and work with uh people that have been here for a while or in it for the right reasons try to work with growers that came up as caregivers um like driven and like relief uh and, and to partner ourselves in, in, in a strategic way with a lot of those uh caregiver run uh, organizations and and to really put out there good quality product at good value and and so one of the things that you know you know we started working with right away was bringing in redemption and offering uh $25 eights across the board and that's something I think is uh uh shows where where we're at and that is working with the right people and offering good product at the right prices and and so I think that's something going forward we're gonna you're gonna consumers will see more of from Meds Cafe is, is those types of uh products at, at those types of prices. It's encouraging to, to see that this is still happening, that there are companies still backing caregivers and people that came from the caregivers market. As you see more MSOs come into the state of Michigan and uh, the competition getting a little bit tighter and, uh, you know, margins, you know, going down and things are starting to level off. But it, it, it's nice to see that, you know, that Meds Cafe has had the foresight to um, to bring on someone like you to make sure that that our type of um, products are still available to the public as you know more and more MSOs come come through. What do you think are our biggest challenges this year coming up? Uh, you know that that we're going to face together. Uh I think a lot of it you kind of hit, talked about in, in the question in terms of uh, margins and, and prices coming down. I, I think we're going to see that across the board. Uh, I think some are more reluctant to do that. And a lot of time it's those larger MSOs. And uh, I, I think we a lot of <clears throat> working together, those smaller or medium sized shops, 
working and having those right relationships with caregivers is what's going to help get both of us through some of those times when we're, we have to compete with uh, those larger MSOs and those you know larger uh, companies here in Michigan um, for sure. And, and uh, so I think the, one of the biggest challenges is going to be <clears throat> uh, keeping customers going to the right shops for the right reasons. Yeah, I, I agree with that I, as well. And uh, we speak a lot about that in this office as we theorize on what's happening to the market in the future. And, uh, you know, redemption went went down and, and, and Lansing, uh, thanks to Homegrown and Pure Options, they both grow really good flour and have a lot of retail. You don't, you don't sell a lot of flour in Lansing unless you're at 25 and 8. So we experimented. It worked. It works for us. And right now, I don't think there's any other brands that have done it that don't um, pre-remediate or remediate their flour. Some of the big MCMA people, that's their SLP. So it's an interesting marketplace. They were so concerned on attacking the caregivers to keep the price per pounds up. They forgot about the ex-caregivers that are in here <laughs> busting their ass every day and, and keeping it going. So Well, we're next. Um, yeah. <laughs> well... You know, not if we they, band together and that's the whole point that's, that's how it, yep. far you know yeah. that's the, the fight's always been there it's just kind of changed its focus a little bit and you know that's that's what we need to do as a group and as people i mean it's the it's the people's medicine we need to keep it in people's hands but you know who's controlling the narrative on 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 the market and how um you know we start to lose touch as time goes on from the past of when we were fighting really hard every day to stay, you know, this side of a jail cell, let alone, you know, making it as just, you know, on a daily basis, you know, it, it's, you know, it's in our blood to keep fighting. And it's, and it's almost seems like it, it always keeps coming back just in different forms. Yeah. Right. I think I, I've always kind of been a fighter and that's why I kind of went the route I did in terms of being a criminal defense attorney and standing up against the state of Michigan, you know, every day for 10 years. Um, and I think now that fight's going to shift a little bit to those MSOs and some of those other groups, and it's going to be a little bit different, but there, there, there's always that fight for sure. Yeah. And with, with that, with, um, you know, we, we talk about the remediation and the pre-remediation, uh, it's a big deal for for me personally moving forward this year is that if, uh, if companies are uh, pre-remediating all their flour and they're getting it tested and then passing and not having to tell the consumer, I think that's wrong. So we're at least going to switch to putting on our, our bags, never remediated, you know, no, no CRC type stuff and we'll stand behind it. So at least get start getting that message out and, and doing it in shops like Meds Cafe and know and having that data to the front lines because um josh and i talked about this morning uh you know the general public i mean on, you get on reddit and discord the general public uh buyers don't know that much about the mcma but it's growing but the shops sure do and those are the buyers and the employees sure do and you know you hear things like and you know they they question their managers when they're ordering that stuff so it's working and we're going to keep on doing it um, so what, uh, Josh, as far as Meds Cafe, tell us like kind of your footprint now, what you're planning in the future to grow and, uh, what, what would you guys have the next year or two, uh, going on? 
Yeah, well, we're really excited. We have our first grow uh, harvesting any day now. And so that's real excited. That's going to be faded acres. And that's a grow we have located up in Rogers City. It's a small medical grow. And it's something we're kind of learning with and uh, moving forward. It's going to kind of be fun to have <clears throat> our own brand of flower to supplement the other brands that we carry and also to get that out into some other stores. And we currently have uh, retail locations in Rogers City, Lowell, and Manistee. And then we have three other locations that we hope to be opening in northern Michigan uh, late spring, early summer. So it's going to be a good year of expansion for us and doubling the number of stores. I should mention we all there's also the uh, Cedar Springs store that has a little bit different management and ownership structure, but we still have a cooperative agreement where we're working together under the name Meds Cafe. And then so there's four stores now, three to open in the next, uh, you know, let's say six months or so. So we're really excited about that. Um, <clears throat> and uh, moving forward, trying to find uh, those locations in Michigan that need the type of products and uh, that we provide and prices, you know, so it's going to be quite a bit in terms of uh, looking past into the next year, hopefully more, more stores and more expansion. That's cool. Uh, speaking on, on another note, uh, you know, you we, when we started uh, Great Lakes Expungement Network, uh, you, uh, you were, were the first attorney we worked with. Obviously, uh, sons and daughters and myself uh, are out of the same office and done work, and you really took a lot on and got, and got us going and carried the bill for a while. Um, but then also been doing cases. So um, appreciate you uh, now in this new role. You guys have a social equity plan, and, and it involves working with the foundation and Glenn and, and still doing some cases. So talk to us about what that looks like. And then even for instance, you know, you're working on a case this week. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So one of the, when I decided to take this job, um, I didn't, I couldn't see myself just giving up being a criminal defense attorney. That's something that, you know, I, I really felt strongly about. So when I talked to him about joining up, um, and taking on this new rule, role, I wanted the ability to still take a few select criminal cases and uh, I wanted to do those pro bono. And so the plan, what we've got right now is we're going to be contributing um, attorney services to the Redemption Foundation in order to do pro bono criminal cases. And, um, you know, I, I started this role January 1st and I, I had my first trial actually under that new program scheduled for Friday of this week where I was going to be down in Berrien County uh, defending someone who was a, a, a worked for a licensed grower and was charged with drug driving. And so I was going to uh, fight that case this Friday. It looks like it's getting adjourned because of some COVID issues with the court. And so we'll be probably doing the trial sometime in the next month or so. But I was really uh, kind of happy to, to continue being a criminal defense attorney and still taking on a few select cases where, um, you know, it, it fits the Redemption Foundation. And uh, uh, I plan on doing more of that. Uh, coming up. And so what, what I've kind of told a few clients is that I might kind of be retiring from a criminal de, uh, from a, as a criminal defense attorney somewhat, but I'm still willing to maybe, you know, put the gloves back on every now and then like George Foreman or something like that. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, uh, I'll keep going. What's your advice for people that are facing a situation where they're trying to swab your mouth and, uh, and try and hit you with a drugged driving? Cause it yeah. seems like obviously that's, 
the that's the way they want things to go is to have a way that even though there's no actual evidence that there's impairment for driving when using cannabis and it's nearly impossible to determine if someone's impaired uh what is what's your advice to someone we're opening a lounge and that's a concern and something we want to be able to ha- give advice on the way out the door to make sure people understand what their rights are yeah so i i've got a lot of experience working uh with drug driving and even drunk driving cases going back to working with the nichols law firm the nichols law firm uh, primarily did and handled those types of cases and so i i learned a lot working through with them over the years and then taking these types of cases and uh there there's can be differing theories on how to approach that but my my the way i look at it is you don't want to submit to any form of testing other than a blood test. Once you get to a blood test, you've already been arrested. There are more severe consequences for refusing a blood test. But unless they're taking your blood, I would refuse any other types of tests. Those tests would be any of the field sobriety tests. You can refuse those. You can refuse to take the the mouth swab as well. There would be a civil infraction potentially for refusing the mouth swab, but I think taking a civil infraction and paying a small fine is worth giving them evidence that uh, really is bad evidence and, and it can be misconstrued. And it's hard to misconstrue uh, a, a zero or a no, not a, a no test, right? It is what it is. But as soon as you submit to a test, as inaccurate as those are, I wouldn't feel comfortable taking one to begin with when we're talking about a saliva test. Um, and, and the consequences for not taking it pale in comparison to the uh, the downside of giving them some evidence that there had been consumption. But on, on the other hand, just because they have that evidence and they sh- let's say you did take a mouth test, um, <clears throat> doesn't mean that you violated the law because as you mentioned there is no number that that test shows that really means anything other than that yes you had consumed cannabis at some point in the past right and so um and i think in all of the cases i deal with i'm not hiding that i i will freely admit to the jury that my client consumed cannabis and that yes it's in his blood but the, but that isn't what we're here to really look at or determine. We're here to determine whether or not their mental or physical condition was significantly affected by the use of cannabis. And that's an entirely different question. And those results from those tests really have no bearing on that. So, um, but I, I recommend to not take any of the tests except the blood. Don't incriminate yourself. Yeah, yeah we- and, and officers will often ask you even um, the strong. I'll tell you the strongest piece of evidence they usually have in a case, as far as juries go, is the person admitting to smoking cannabis. Never admit it. They're not. And your so friend. I, I, I wouldn't admit to smoking cannabis. I wouldn't admit to. I wouldn't take the tests. I, I wouldn't give them any evidence whatsoever, because at that point, the only thing they're going to have is possibly the smell of cannabis which the jury instructions that we would read to a jury even explains to the jury that someone can smell of cannabis. That doesn't mean they were operating under the influence of cannabis. Especially if they work in facilities that are licensed by the state in order to produce that. Totally. And and so um, really the only evidence, if you don't give it to them, the only thing they have is possibly the smell of cannabis and the way you were driving. And, And generally someone is being pulled over 
for some reason other than bad driving as far as like impaired driving right they're usually pulled over for uh speeding or an equipment violation or something else right so in, in most cases you're your own worst enemy when you're dealing with the police on on a case like something like that yeah and we've had some good victories through uh through your work in the foundation uh josh even with people admitting it and getting in trouble if you do screw up and, and and that you're not you're you're not looking at the 10 year losing your license felony all this all that shit that they're gonna scare you with just don't you know that's that's what they do uh you can you can get down to civil infractions like we've done like josh talks about or stuff that's not gonna ruin your life so uh great advice i wanted to ask something that's uh I have a question, you know, I think about what Josh, you're, you may, you know, you really kind of became famous uh, in Michigan as uh, from the Free Bree case, the, the, the CPS um, case. And, you know, what, what's your advice on that? What if uh, you have CPS at your door um, and, and walk us through that process of what you can get away with of not allowing them in or if, they, or if you have to and, and what to say with that? Yeah, that's, uh, I'd say, a little more complicated in a case-by-case -case than the standard drug driving advice because uh, CPS is a whole different world when it comes to law and what your rights are and what they aren't. And in my experience, in the last, let's say, five years or so, I've seen a, a big shift where they don't view cannabis quite like they did during the, the free Bree case. Mm -hmm. and, and that case actually, you know, single-handedly made <clears throat> a lot of uh, difference. Um, the CPS uh, violated several of their own policies during that case and, and, and several aspects of their own training and had to go back and re change the way they train their employees and some of their own policies because of that case. And, and so that case has, I've seen a change since then, but um, you know, I'd say since legalization even more so where it's generally not an issue anymore. Um, I, I get calls and I have gotten calls about, you know, CPS is asking questions about marijuana use because I just, you know, gave birth to a child, et cetera. And most, I think every case is, has been a non-issue. They close the case right away. And that's what their training tells them they're supposed to do. Their training says that someone can use marijuana or, you know, even like alcohol, or it even mentions illegal drugs and still be a good parent. It's the question is, what's the effect on the child? And it's not just the fact that they use some substance. And so what we see now is that they really treat marijuana like alcohol in a lot of ways, and that you can certainly have it, you can possess it, <clears throat> in some cases even use around a child. Um, but it really is a case-by-case -case basis. The reason why I have a hard time giving advice on a CPS case and something like this is that if you don't you have rights as a criminal as, as a as a defendant in a criminal case and those rights are completely different when we're talking about cps mm. um if they knock at your door and you refuse uh to cooperate they automatically escalate your case and and they have a tiered system of four levels and 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 the difference between them taking your kid away or not sometimes can be that cooperation and so I try to tell people, don't instantly get fearful. Don't shut the door on them. Hear them out for a minute. 
show them that, yes, I'm concerned about my child and I'm willing to talk to you to see if there's something maybe I don't know and to talk about them. Um, you can even show them that you, where you keep your marijuana. I don't believe that's to be an issue. Um, but, but I've had cases where not cooperating makes things much worse. And, and, and although we end up winning in the end, even if we didn't cooperate that period of time between not cooperating and winning sometimes is bad. Right. And, and, and not having your kid or having to jump through a bunch of hoops, um, in terms of taking classes or this or that, um, it, it's tough, right? So in, in those cases, I generally tell people to cooperate until they're asking you to do something unreasonable. And, and then each person needs to figure out what's unreasonable and what's not, right? And in some cases, you know, like asking them you to take a drug test, I think is unreasonable. Um, ask, ask them asking to come inside and you showing them that you've got running water and you've got food in your fridge. I, I don't know that that's unreasonable um, in a CPS case, right? And, and, and then there's kind of everything in between. And, and, and that's for, I think, a lot of times each person to decide where they want to draw the line in terms of not cooperating. Um, but you got to realize by not cooperating sometimes escalates the situation and, and, and it can make things a little bit worse. And, and so I think having an attorney you talk to really can help you navigate whether or not you want to cooperate or not. Well, that's encouraging to hear, though. It's a new world as far as how they're viewing cannabis use now versus, I mean, just even a few years ago uh, yeah. to see this I, change actually happen. I can't think of a single case. And I'd say over the last since I started my law firm, which would have been about five years ago, where the only issue was cannabis. Really? There's sometimes it's a minor issue because there's other issues the parents are maybe struggling a little bit with and cannabis just kind of gets tacked on. But I can't think of a single cannabis issue. You know, that's uh, coming in my head, like anyone knocking on my door without a warrant, I immediately go to get lost. And, um, but, you know, like that's I'm glad I glad we talked about that because, you know, OK, it's fine. Makes sense. Uh, um, but how do people you know, know, you know, like, yeah. is, is it okay to come out? Right. Is it clear? Yeah. You know? There's the it's, years and years of being programmed to, to fear that because it was uh -huh. something that could be, you know, family life ending. Yeah. You know, there's so much, there's so many things that, you know, that, that everyone is fearful of. So we're, we've been trained to distrust. So. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And I mean, I think you're better to err on the side of distrusting if you're not sure. Right. But, but I think at least hearing that, hey, uh, it, sometimes, so let me explain, I guess, what any, and I think this makes sense so that if CPS gets a complaint, they have to investigate it. They're going to come out, they're going to knock on your door, they're going to call you, they're going to talk to you. And that makes sense because in our society, sometimes kids aren't treated correctly, right? And we need to make sure that if there's some kind of complaint, at least somebody goes out and checks on it, right? Now, now when that person, so you, you got to think that if they're coming to your door and knocking, they're not necessarily there to do anything other than to say that this was a, a complaint not worthy of us getting involved right but they have to do that initial checkup they're going to ask to come into your house and they're going to ask to make sure you've got a place for your child to sleep you've got food you've got water and you've got electricity and and, and that that they, they're required to check those things off if they get a complaint right and and in every, almost every case 
things stop right then and there if cannabis is the issue because they're not really there to get involved in people's lives anymore because of cannabis right and so um i i was investigated twice by by cps since i've been a parent and i i take great care of my kids i love my kids i had the school my child had a bruise and he couldn't talk at the time he was going through um uh, a special education program at the age of three because he wasn't talking he had a bruise he couldn't explain where it came from so instead of talking to me which i probably would have done as the school but they're mandatory reporters they're required by law to report certain things and they reported it the guy came out to my house was friendly we he we told him our son we were camping for a week and we hiked a lot and he fell a few times because he's three and he had a small bruise and and that was the end of it they closed the case i never heard anything else but i'll, I'll tell you when they came to my house that first time i was super scared even having went through this right um so i understand people being reluctant but but you know had i put up more of a roadblock it just would have made things worse uh, in that case because i felt comfortable that nothing inappropriate was taking place and in in, in that case it's easier to show them that and, and again this is way different than a criminal case um but that's just the way because of the way the laws are written man and then uh one of the things and on another note, and that's like being in a different world, but that, that begs to the point that I still see a lot of chatter. And I, you know, you guys see it too. Like, oh, we got duped on Prop 1. Everyone's getting arrested. Like, it's it's, it's all this stuff. So what what have you seen the difference between, you know, pre-Prop 1 and, and afterwards as far as what's happened in Michigan in, in reality and not just uh, some, of the, some of the people chatting? Oh, it, it's been a huge success from every aspect that I've seen. Um, I went from um, taking call after, several calls a day from people having police involvement um, to in the last year, you know, I, I'd get a call a month maybe. Uh, and, and, it, and it really had to do with the police aren't looking for those things. Those things are now legal. Um, a whole different attitude change. Those few cases that I have had over the last year have all been resolved in very favorable fashions, like civil infractions for someone having more plants than they were allowed. Um, I, I've been able to do things uh, that never would have happened before legalization. And so I think for the can cannabis consumer, they are multitude of times more protected than they were before. Um, and that goes for parents, consumers, you, you name it. Um, it it's been a success. Can you uh, kind of highlight some places that we still need to be, you know, diligent and fighting? Yeah, uh, I, I think there's the drug driving is a big part of it. And, and luckily, Michigan's done the right thing and it doesn't have a nanogram limit for impairment. But that's something that could always come about because other states have done it. And uh, it's contrary to science. And luckily, Michigan saw that and decided not to do a nanogram level. Uh, the nanogram is what you find in someone's blood when you're testing for THC. You find a, a nanogram of THC is the unit of measurement. And, and so I think that's that's really big because people are still getting arrested for drugged driving. Um, but but as far as that goes, doing like let's say defending a drug driving case even that is much better in today's world because i can openly talk with juries about marijuana 
during jury selection and and they will say things that they never would have said before um i had a gentleman in hudsonville michigan a, a juror indicate to me that he had never used cannabis and then i asked well do you know anybody that does and he's like yeah my he's a seven sorry 70 year old retired guy he goes yeah my, my good friend does and i was like oh when does he do it? He's like, well, he'll come over to my house and then he'll smoke and then uh, we'll go play golf. And I was like, did, did, did you drive to go play golf? He's like, yeah, my buddy drives. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, so you get in the car with him? He's like, yeah, uh, we, <laughs> we wouldn't do that if you thought he was impaired or something. He's like, no, of course I wouldn't. And this is, you know, he'd never smoked in his life, but, but he said these things in, in a jury trial when I was picking the jury and all the other jurors hear this. And, and it definitely puts the prosecuting attorney in a different mindset with they're like, oh, like, like the jurors are, are, are more OK with this than I thought. Right. Well, with that, uh, you know, um, before we go, I wanted to ask Josh one last question. You know, Michigan sales, we're on pace now to do went to 2022 over two billion. You got a good handle on things. Where do you see, you know, with all the people coming in from the Midwest uh, into Michigan to buy? And with us now tackling the uh, the black market coming over as we, we keep um, competing and getting lower and lower, where do you see Michigan going here this year and then in the next couple of years? And uh, what do you think will top out on in sales? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I certainly think it's going to go up quite a bit for a couple of the reasons that you mentioned. You know, each time we get a new retail store open, it makes it easier for can uh, consumers to buy licensed cannabis. And I think we see numbers go up. We're still seeing retail stores open up across the state. We've seen a lot more in the Upper Peninsula along the border within the last year, which I think is increasing sales quite a bit. And we're still seeing new shops along the southern border, like Coldwater, for instance, and things like that. So uh, I certainly see it going up and then the pricing uh that is the quality for licensed product has been going up and the prices have been coming down in most cases which i think also draws consumers away from the black market in many instances when we start getting those you know uh ounces priced around that 200 price point i start to think we we, we draw from the, the black market more so and and i think that's going to increase the the number quite a bit um, so I see this year going up and for the foreseeable future, um, especially as we continue to draw from states like Wisconsin and Indiana, um, I, I think their market would be a few years away, even if they were to start, you know, now in terms of getting uh, quality, good priced products in the marketplace. Um, and so but where it tops out, I don't know. I mean, that's a that's a great question. I haven't really, I guess, thought about where it tops out. It's something I'll, I'll start to think about kind of exciting it is i'm i'm predicting four billion uh but in three years so well, you heard it here first we'll see um yeah and, and as sales continue to go you know like right now they say oh it's been the same for a couple months but it's more sales because prices have come down dramatically especially from a year from now so very good what do you think tom let's get your opinion you're a, you're an expert on this <laughs> Definitely not an expert on this, man. I <laughs> kind of wrap my brain around it every day. Yeah. Kind of almost like a full-time job at this point. Um, you know, I just hope to see things kind of level out, become a little bit more predictable as far as pricing. Uh, I think if the consumers, if everyone kind of finds their lane and stays in it, 
there and, and everything's priced uh, accordingly i believe that we will be able to pull people out of the black market which is the whole point of this licensed structure as it stands and uh you know if, i believe if if we can figure out where where things do level out with quality and different tiers of products if we can you know figure out where those price points are that that the consumer you know is looking to pay and and satisfy every level of of quality and and price point that people you know are looking for and everyone kind of stays in their lane with that type of a thing and and we we stop looking at THC as the only thing that we're looking at to determine a price on something we start looking at a grading scale maybe some kind of way to standardize uh things then we can start to be a little bit more predictable we're trying to keep things you know at a you know we like to see things at high end a $10 gram you know at, at a store you know yep. if you have a really high quality product and at that price point you know anything that and lower is is very doable anywhere between you know $100 ounces to you know $35 $40 out the door high quality top shelf eighths and things of that nature i think that those are more sustainable levels yeah i like that i mean i'd go buy a real leaf eighth for 35 bucks all day and same with like Michigan and some of the other companies out there, like especially as you can come by uh, Michigan's finest today. And I think we're rather running <laughs> special for vendor days. If anyone's where's, interested in that, <laughs> where's Michigan's finest? What town? In Wayne. Wayne. Yeah, cool. we'll be a local roots tomorrow and uh, botanical in Lansing. All right. Well, cool. With that, Tom, why don't you, uh, any final thoughts? We got some hard outs here. So yeah, it's just great to see, you know, how you, your career is morphing, Josh, you were always so helpful when, even before licensure, um, getting, you know, you're on my call list of people and I needed advice and you're always so generous with your time. Uh, you know, you're a fighter and, you know, I love having you on, on our team and just cool to see it, things move forward, you know? And it, I think that Mads Cafe and that whole, all the groups that you're involved with, they're in really good hands. And uh, yeah, just see how this whole thing shakes out. It's really exciting. Cool. Josh, any final thoughts? uh yeah thanks for having me on i always enjoy him talking and being on your show um and uh i'd like to see say the same thing i guess to to you tom and to you ryan that it's kind of neat to see where everything goes you know i i think i've known both of you guys prior on seven eight years and i don't know when i and i first met either one of you that i really thought that you know i, I we any of us would be doing the things that we're doing right now <laughs> right and so it's really cool yeah. um and so i i'm really happy to do what i'm doing now because i think i was a little limited in the way i could work with a lot of the people i've gotten to know over the years and a lot of my former clients and that i was i was i was an attorney and that that was what I, I could do but I, I think I can do a lot more now in terms of making sure a lot of us stick together and a lot of us work in terms of cross promotion and sharing ideas and you know carrying products and things like that and so I'm, I'm really excited to, to work on in a little different level with with everybody I've gotten to know over the last 10 years and that is really cool and, and it's really really uh, fascinating to see uh, like you know you as an attorney switching over to that in this brand new industry because uh we met each other in the first like i look at the you know 09 to really 19 is the first 10 years being cannabis in the industry and then here's the next 10 years and what's going to happen and it's going to be wild at the end of this 10 years to go back and uh see who's made it through that and uh 
We, Our we beards beat are going to be longer in 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, and we, we beat them. We beat them. Uh, we got legalization really uh, with guerrilla warfare because uh, you know, death by a thousand cuts. They, they would take take people out um, you know, that they thought were threats. And it just didn't matter. It just kept, kept, kept on coming in waves. So same philosophy is going to go to the business side uh, in Michigan and, and people like us make it over to, to it so uh great show and best of luck josh and i uh, can't wait to do a bunch more stuff with uh with Mets cafe with that see you guys next week see ya the smoking rope podcast is produced and hosted by me ryan basor the owner of redemption cannabis have ideas for episode topics or would like to be a guest on the show contact us at ryan b at redemptioncanna.com thanks for being along for the journey